if there's one thing that we've learned these <clears throat> past number of years, it's that there is very little that you can take for granted these days. Our modern society, with all its conveniences and perks, we've learned is also much more fragile than we realized. Whether it's our ability to travel, to see loved ones, or just buy things like distilled water, or purchase a dozen eggs for under $5, or fill your gas tank up for less than $50. There was even a time not too long ago, many of you remember very well, when we had to ration our toilet paper and only use you know, one square per wipe. And it seems that every season we are learning of new things that are suffering from supply chain issues. And this has led many people to want to decrease their dependence on others. Uh, whether it's you know, buying 15 acres up in Idaho and learning how to farm and go completely off the grid, or maybe you're just going to get solar installed and buy some 55-gallon water drums and have some more food storage. People are realizing that modern technology will not save us. And in fact, maybe there are certain ways it is even hurting us. We don't want the electric company to be our only source of power or the supermarket our only source of food. We don't want to have to be completely dependent on others we're learning. But there's a problem with this because you can never be truly independent. You just trade one set of dependencies for another set of dependencies. What are those things that you are dependent on? What are those things, maybe these last year or two, that you thought were so reliable only to discover that was not nearly as reliable as you thought? Uh, we're jumping back into this series through the book of Malachi called, Does God Still Care? And if you remember, the people are living in this time when it seemed like God didn't care about them anymore. And when it feels like God doesn't care about you, it's hard for, to trust God to take care of you. You feel like maybe I need to take things into my own hands. Maybe I've got to you know, buy some extra food storage or do whatever because I'm not sure God even sees my issues. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever cried out and said, God, are you still there? Do you see the mess that is my life? Do you care about anything that is going on? And what we're going to see in our passage is God still does care. And he will take care of you. What I want us to remember is simply this, seek God first, and he will take care of everything else. Seek God first, and he'll take care of everything. So we're going to look at this in three ways. First, God's stability. Uh, second, God's dues. And then third, God's blessing. So God's stability. Uh, when a, a relationship falls apart, one of the things that you'll often hear is, well, they changed they weren't the person that I thought I knew. They weren't the person that I first loved. At some point, you really loved that person. You, you probably still do to some extent, and yet things changed. And it's really hard to stay in that relationship because they changed, you changed. Or at least your feelings towards them or your commitment to them changed because of these changes in them over the years. And that's what makes verse 6 so striking. I, the Lord, do not change. We might expect something after that where he says, but you guys did. But instead it says, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. That's remarkable if you think about it. It then goes on to say, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and not have kept them. 
We can think of this again in terms of a relationship. God says, you have continually failed me. Ever since we entered into this relationship together, you have not listened to me, you have neglected me, you have walked away from me, but because I do not change, I won't let you go. Actually says, you aren't destroyed. Now we can struggle with with language like that, but again, think of it in terms of a relationship. A relationship it can become so toxic that you say, we just need to end this relationship. This relationship is destroying what is good in you or someone you love. And so it, it is why it's sometimes completely appropriate or even required to step away from a relationship. We get this. Some of you have experienced that. But the thing is, we all have such a dependent relationship on God that if he were to cease his relationship with us, we would actually cease to live. Because every breath that you take is a breath of his grace. Every beat of your heart is him holding your body together and the molecules together. It is only by his grace that we continue to live even for the next second. And so we can get to that point where we so reject God, we reject his goodness, we think we can live apart from God. It becomes, in every sense of the word, a toxic relationship. And God has every reason to end that relationship, which would be the end of us because we cannot even breathe without him. But he doesn't. The reason any of us are still alive is because of God's undeserved grace. Because God keeps his promises to you and to us, no matter how much it hurts. And so God says, because I do not change, I'm never giving up on you. Now we tend to think of change as as a good thing. If you're 45, but you're still living like you did when you were 18, there'd be some issues with that. All of us are thankful that we don't look like we did when we were 16, right? We're glad that we've grown out of some of that awkwardness. But for God to say that he does not change, it means that God has already arrived. It means that he is perfect, that there is nothing that he needs to grow into. It means that there is no single way in which he can improve. There is no single aspect of God that could even get 1% better. And only a God who has never changed can be called perfect. Because if he changed, it means there was something that was not perfect about him, or he changed from perfect to being imperfect. Things might be perfect for a time, but only God is perfect for all time. This past year, we have all seen in various ways how undependable life is. Some of you have experienced how undependable your bodies are as you struggle with sickness and getting older. You've discovered how undependable certain relationships are or a job is. So what would it mean to have someone in your life who is completely dependable, who never changes, who is immovable, whose steadfastness makes these mountains behind me look like Play-Doh? You might be trying to live off the grid, whether literally you're actually you know, looking at property up in Idaho, maybe emotionally off the grid. I'm tired of these people controlling me. I don't want to be dependent on what their you know, whims are of the day. Financially, 
I'm going to get my finances in order. I'm going to start, stop renting. I'm going to invest in a house. I'm going to be more independent with my family. I'm tired of being alone. I'm tired of dating. I want to settle down and find someone to grow a family with. But whatever you think is going to make you independent is only going to create new dependencies in your life. I'm going to get off the grid. Well, guess what? Farming isn't easy. You're going to be dependent on the weather uh, and the sun and the rain for your crops to grow and that no pests come in. I'm going to be financially independent. Well, you're still going to be dependent on the economy for your investments. You're always going to be dependent upon someone, something. And so what is it you're depending on? We live in a world... We're reminded of just with that earthquake in, in Turkey where the bedrock, the most foundational thing that we know of, can still shake and break our strongest buildings. But God never changes. He never moves a millimeter. His sun never sets. His summer never ends. His love never fails. So are you resting your life? Are you depending on a God who never changes? Are you resting your life on the one who says, I will not let you go, no matter how toxic you might become? And what does it look like to depend on God? This takes us to our second point, God's dues. God says, return to me, my arms are open. But then he says, but you've been robbing me. How have we been robbing you? You've not been giving me the tithes and the offerings. First, let's understand, what is a tithe? When the Israelites first moved into their promised land, God said uh, in Leviticus 27, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. So 10% of everything that you you grow in your garden gets given to God as the first part of the produce. It also applied to animals. If you have uh, a bunch of lambs and they give birth to 10 little lambs, you give one of those to God. And, and the idea behind it was that God owned the land that he was bringing the Israelites into. They were never the true owners. They were, in some sense, renting the land from God. And just like you pay rent to your landlord every month for living in your place, the tithe was in some ways like the Israelites' rent for living in that land that God had given them. And it was a reminder every season, every time their crops produced, that they were dependent on God for everything that they had. And it was how they could show gratitude. God, thank you for bringing another harvest. Thank you for giving rain for our crops, for keeping the bugs from destroying our fields. Here is our way of showing thank you. We're going to give you the first of what has been given to us. And so then you can understand why God would say, you're robbing me. Just like if you're renting a home and you stopped paying your rent, you would be robbing the owner of that home from what is due them for you to live there. And God's saying, I brought you into this land. I'm caring for you. I'm allowing you to have a good land that produces the food you need to feed your family. Certainly, you can show some thanksgiving for that. Some response of thank you, God, for these blessings that you have. Another way to think about it, imagine if you let someone borrow your car. You give it to them, it has a full tank, and they bring it back, and it's on empty. (laughs) You feel kind of annoyed 
Now, imagine if you let someone borrow your car every Saturday, and every time they take it, uh, it's got a good full tank of gas in it, and every time they bring it back, it's got less gas than when they took it. And they do this weekend after weekend after weekend, right? You are going to get annoyed. You say, are you just abusing my generosity? Are you taking advantage of me? Are you not thankful that I'm letting you borrow the car? And that is what God is saying the people have been doing to him for generations. They've been using his stuff without any sense of thanksgiving for the privilege of having it. And there were these storerooms in Israel that were used for storing the tithe. Most of it was grain. And these storerooms are starting to run low. Now, God didn't need the money. He didn't need the food. But what he did is he used that grain to bless others. The tithe went to support the priests, those working in full-time ministry. And the Levites, these were people that didn't have their own land. And so they were dependent on others to bring them food. The tithe went to support the poor in the community, the widows and the foreigners. Again, people that did not have their own land and resources and capital to run their own farms. The storehouses ensured that everyone in the community had the food they needed, so no one would go hungry. The tithe was also used to provide food for parties, for festivals where the community would come together and celebrate. And God is saying, you're skimping. Bring the whole tithe. And maybe people were bringing something, but not the whole amount. Maybe they would always round it down. Maybe they were being lax with their measurements. Say, oh, that looks like 10%, good enough. No one will know. And why is this an issue? Because the people didn't have a heart of generosity saying, God, we are so thankful for everything you've given us. Instead, they're thinking, you know, what's, what's the least we can get away with? How much can we give so we feel like we're doing that, but we can keep more for ourselves? Because they didn't recognize that everything they had was from God, they were holding on to their things tighter than they should have. And do you see how those things relate? When you don't recognize that everything you have is from God, you're not going to be as generous with giving it back to God as you should. Because you know that everything in this world is as stable as jello when compared to God. And it means that we worry with where's the next going to come from. You hold on to what you have because maybe this is all I'll get. Now, some of us don't actually worry. Maybe the way our worry manifests is with control. Well, I'm going to make sure I'm taken care of. I'm going to come up with a plan to, to have stability for my family. It's why some of us can't rest or relax. You're trying to do what only God can do. And if you're trying to trust in anything besides God to be your provider, it's in the end not dependable. If you're trying to trust in yourself, there are, you are less dependable than you realize. One little thing can change the outcourse of your life. Us trying to be independent is about as effective as trying to cross Russia on roller skates. It's going to just wear you out. And what's a way that you can show that you trust God to be your provider? You give the first of what he gives you back to him. You give freely, you give generously with a thankful heart. The tithe isn't just about giving stuff away. It's about showing what you are trusting in. 
All of us, we have plans. Right? You are saving for something that you want in the future. You're investing in something now because you expect it to provide greater returns in the future. And it can be all kinds of things. I'm investing in my education. Right? I'm taking night classes because I want to finish my degree and get a good job. And it takes a lot of sacrifice. I'm investing in my retirement because by the time I'm 50, I want to be able to retire. I'm, I'm working extra to get my mortgage paid off so I don't have that debt hanging over me. What are you investing in? What are you saving for? What if you trust that if I make these sacrifices for now, it will pay off in the future? And in some sense, that is what your tithe is. Right? What are you tithing to? Your own finances, paying off your mortgage, your own education, financial security, fun. And that shows what it is you're trusting in. And where is God on that list? Are you seeking him first by saying, you're the one that I trust for everything? Or are you adding him in at the end? Any investment ads always have that language that goes something like, past performance may not be indicative of future results. That's true of anything in this world except for God. Why? Verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. There is no surer investment. There is no firmer foundation. There is no one who is better to rest your heart, your life, your desires, everything on than a God who does not change. Now, one of the questions you've asked is, well, do we have to tithe today? And, and technically, the tithe was something set up for the Israelites in the Promised Land. Remember, it was their way of, in one sense, showing this is the, the rent. This is what we're giving to God for letting us live in this good land. But we see throughout the New Testament, Christians are no less required to show that we're trusting in God with our entire life. And that includes with our money. And we still need to acknowledge that everything we have, every cent, comes from him. And one of the ways that we do that is by giving to your local church, giving to other ministries and missionaries beyond that. 2 Corinthians 9 is a great passage. I'd encourage you to, to read that chapter if you want to look into it more, where it says we should give freely and generously. And so is whatever that you're giving, which I don't know what anyone in the church gives, but what is, whatever that you're giving reflect a heart of gratitude, of trust in God, of thanksgiving for this paycheck and in providing me this land. I thank you that you're my provider, God. Or do you give only according to what you think you can manage? Which is the exact opposite of what it's supposed to be. And this brings us to our third point, God's blessing. The second half of verse 10 says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. This passage is often misinterpreted, right? People abuse it. Elsewhere, testing God is not a good thing. So in general, we shouldn't do that. But interestingly, God says, here you can test me. But this testing isn't, as some have misinterpreted it, to say something like, well, you know, Give away 90% of your income when you're making $20 an hour and your rent is $1,300 a month and see if God still takes care of you. No, that's not what this test is. What is the test? Bring the whole tithe. So for them, 10%, that's it. Is that a goal 
that you could move towards? Are there steps that you could take to increase your generosity? Are there changes you could make to how you handle your money that shows all this is from God and I'm just a steward of it? And what are the returns for this? See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Maybe that language rings a bell. It's it's the same language used to describe the flood with Noah. Here God opens the floodgates of heaven and the world is covered in water. And now God says, I will open the floodgates so that the earth will be covered in my blessings. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. The vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. We've got a, a peach tree in our yard, and I, I remember uh, when we first planted it, I was so excited because we got, after the blossoms, all these little peaches that were the size of a pea, right? And there's a lot of them, and I'm so amazed, and you know, every day or every other day, I go out to check the tree, and they're getting bigger, but soon some of them start dropping off, and I'm discouraged. Why are the peaches falling? And I look into it, and it's part of the natural course of the tree, right? It, it can only produce so much fruit, And so some drop off so that it can direct its energy to a a few select peaches, and then you get nice, ripe peaches. They even recommend after that first drop to take off some more of those little tiny peaches so you can have even bigger, more ripe fruit. And see what God is saying here. I am making a world, and my blessing is so great that no peaches will ever drop from those trees. The the branches will be sagging with ripe fruit. There will be too much fruit for you to eat. You can't even give it all away. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And it's such a blessing that all the nations, verse 12, will notice how good it is to live in your land. There's all those lists that people make every year, best places to live, right? And God is saying, my land will be number one on that list. Best place to move to, my land. Best place to retire, my land. Best place to raise kids, my land. Everyone will want to move there. And in one sense, that is what the church is called to be. Brothers and sisters, we are building a community here that reflects that blessing, that shows the world this is what it means to live in harmony with God. And some parts of it will be offensive, some parts will be different than what the culture says you need, and yet they'll look at it and say, but why is there so much blessing in that community? Why is there so much fruit? Why is there so much joy? We've got to model that to a dying world. And for us living on this side of the cross, we only have a greater assurance of this because right now we still live in a world of sin. We still live in a world where the fruit drops And bugs get your cherries before you do. But one day, there won't be any of that. And you can know how much God has invested in you because you look at what he has given you. The very life of his son. God didn't go in and say, I'm only going to give you 10%. I'm only going to match what you give. No, before you gave anything, God gave his all. 100% of his life to have you Because no matter how toxic that relationship would get, he would not let you go. And he has shown that he does not change. He will not end this relationship no matter how much it hurts. 
but Jesus would hang on that cross in order to keep you. And now Jesus is resurrected in glory, and he guarantees that you will make it home. And that is the journey that we are on right now. So that world where the little blessings we see now will blossom into huge trees and jungles and forests of beauty. I'm reminded of that picture in Revelation 22. The angel showed me, this is a picture of heaven, the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. These leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. It seems like that is a picture of the promised blessings we have in our passage in Malachi. It's a picture when all we know is blessing. We've been wounded. Some of you have been wounded deeply. Some of you are scared to love again. Some of you are so tied in the things that have happened into the past, you cannot see the future without seeing them. Some of you are afraid of the future, your best days seem behind you. But friends, see this picture. For those who trust in the Lord, God will heal you. And he will rain blessings on your head, and your best life is yet to come. And he will bring you into a land where there are no more thorns or tears. And he will bandage your wounds and transform them into testaments of his unbreakable love. So what is it you're depending on right now? Your health, your job, your smarts, your work ethic, your money, your family. Anything that you're depending on in this world will one day fail you. And most of it will turn to dust. You will fail. The earth will shake again. But God remains steadfast. And he has shown how much he loves you in Christ. And he knows your need. He won't abandon you. And he's given you his spirit right now to walk with you on every step of this journey. And he won't forget to give you the food you need to make it there. And one of the ways that you can grow in your trust of God is by trusting him with your finances, with your money, by investing in him. You are investing in some future right now. You are trusting in something to get you through till tomorrow. Is it as dependable as God? Does it love you back? Or does it always demand more? Rest your life, your soul, your wounds, your fears, and your finances in the loving arms of our God. And discover how much he will care for you and provide everything you need and much more. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to trust you more. Lord, to see even a passage like this that can be misinterpreted, that can feel just like some weight put upon us of another thing we must do. But we ask that you would free us to see what joy there is, what lightness of foot can be found when we rest everything on you. And we can say we do that, but Lord... The things we do show what we really trust in. So help us to live and act in a way that shows complete trust and love 
of you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.